0: think isolation is a problem for all leaders even before mm. lockdown <coughs> by definition if you're in a position of leadership you don't have peers you have a team who need you to be their leader and you have stakeholders who need you to be the solution to their problems so leadership is very isolating full stop
1: Welcome to another episode of the Great Business Minds podcast, the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure. I'm your host, Jean-Marc Lima and I use my experience as a digital infrastructure journalist to dig deep into business issues, but also get to know those who build our digital world. Great Business Minds is brought to you in partnership with Prescott Co a leading award-winning City of London law firm, internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry, as well as the telecoms and tech sector work more broadly. Whatever your legal or regulatory needs are, including outer space, Prescoll & Co. LLP can support you, so do feel free to reach out to them at www.prescoll.com. In this episode, we have a very special guest, Rachel Turner, a transformative leadership advisor and coach with over 20 years of experience as a founder whisperer. Rachel is the co founder of VC Talent Lab and coaches founders and VC backed businesses from blitz scaling tech companies to global consumer brands and professional services organizations. In this episode, Rachel talks about her life journey, the experiences and people who have influenced her, and what motivates her in life. She also shares her thought process for generating new ideas and what she considers non negotiable in business. Rachel also sheds a light on the characteristics and skills VC investors should look for in promising founders and business leaders. She explains why founder leadership skills are crucial to the long-term success of any business and shares specific challenges and struggles founders may face in the digital infrastructure industry, along with tips on how to survive the founder marathon in the digital infrastructure sector. Well, so then, Rachel, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, It's quite exciting to get someone off your profile. Um, on this show, because usually we go for people from within the digital infrastructure space, uh, but it's quite interesting to get fresh and um, different views into a sector that needs a lot of new views, to be honest. Uh, There's a lot of things that are just kind of repurposed and redone uh, the same way over the years, and I think there needs to be a bit of a a reshuffle, especially around skills and venture capitalism and how to deal with IPOs, and because it stays the main topic of the, the, the sector at the moment, despite the macroeconomic uncertainties, this sector is flourishing, uh, even um, even throughout the darkest period. But um, without me just rambling on for any more time, uh, let's talk about you. Talk us through um, your life journey. Where do you come from? How did you get into what you do? Um, and why do you do what you do?
0: Um, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so I, um, I started life as a music industry entrepreneur. So I was supposed to be going to London School of Economics to read history. And on my gap year, I um, fell in love with dance music. And so I talked my way into an unpaid job at a record label and did a really good job. And just before my 19th birthday, they asked me to be a director of their UK subsidiary. And over the next, I didn't go to London School of Economics. (laughs) And over (laughs) the next six years, I ended up founding five different businesses, uh, two record labels, a publishing company, uh, well, one, yeah, and then a DJ management company, and then we did global tours and events. So I, I did that till I was 26, and and it's a lot of fun, you know. Being involved in that that world was an awful lot of fun, but it lacked a lot of depth and meaning, um, and it just didn't feel like it had a real sort of purpose to it. So. Uh, I retrained in my mid-twenties. It also, I'll be really honest, it didn't help that I was married to a very famous DJ. When we got divorced, it was quite (laughs) difficult to stay in that industry, I'll be really honest. But I I already knew that I wanted to leave the industry when that happened. So I went back to university at that point, uh, trained as a psychologist. Um, My first degree was in applied psychology. And I did a two-year qualification in executive coaching primarily because I was fascinated with why I'd been very successful starting all these businesses, but when it came to scaling them, I was signally right. unsuccessful and unhappy. So I could start things, I could get them off the ground, I could get them to their first 10, 10 people, and then as soon as it needed to move to that next stage of growth, hmm. I didn't enjoy it and I wasn't very good at it and I just didn't know how to. And I was fascinated by that, so I wanted to understand <clears throat> why, why, what was going on there So the study of psychology, organizational psychology, executive performance, leadership performance were all fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And I established my coaching practice in 2000 and have been working for the last 23 years as an executive coach who specializes in coaching founders. And the majority of people in my world end up coaching within large organizations Primarily because that's where the, the the market is. But my passion has always been helping founders to thrive, particularly as they go through the scale-up journey. So about three years ago, my business partner and I decided, we were really curious about the fact that coaching is ubiquitous in the corporate space. You would no more think of having a first-time leader who doesn't have coaching or training or leadership development support it's just you you always have that. And yet we were looking at the VC space, and VCS were spending a lot of time and energy on product market fit, on go-to market strategy, on on hiring talent, on brand, but not on leadership development. And there's a huge need for it in the VC space because the the challenges that founders of scaling businesses face are really, much more, challenge, much more significant than you know, a, a CEO or a first-time leader in a larger organization would be facing. The, the complexity they face is really much more significant. So we, um, we found a VC Talent Lab with the stated objective of putting leadership development at the heart of the VC ecosystem and have been working in there ever since. And last year I published a book called The Founder's Survival Guide initially it was just because i i wanted one thing i could give to all the founders that uh we work with but it's ended up having a bit of a life of its own and doing very well and being nominated for mm. some award and etc so mm. that's that's that really
1: yeah which is a lot i mean it's it's <laughs> it's been quite a career so far uh but i love the, the the book's name as well the founders' survival guide um i think it's uh it it is a must read for anyone starting a business and uh, what you said about having an idea pushing it out building the the foundations and then hitting a wall where you can't scale it uh, I think that's something that a lot of people will see themselves in because even in this space and we were chatting just before we came live um that um it's an industry that luckily you can still flourish even throughout the darkest periods um of our times but there are storm businesses that they come out and they have amazing business plans and amazing ideas and things that could actually, if they scaled them up to a certain level, it could change the whole dynamics of the sector. But then it is exactly what you said. There's a barrier there of how do we go from convincing the first 10, 100 people to them being able to actually scale it up and make this uh, a national, international, global uh, brand uh, and platform. So that's, I think what you're saying is going to really resonate with a lot of people that are listening. Um, and uh, and we will get into it as well because we will discuss more into detail uh, how to get over that. Uh, but then still focus on you a little bit because we do like to know the person behind the the brand and also to get to get an idea of the the individual. Uh, tell us who or what has influenced you over the years. Of course, music is a huge influence. I I think I probably can assume that. Uh, but I think it's particularly people experiences um things that have really shaped you to of how you to what you do nowadays
0: it's an interesting question uh, i was thinking i i could speak about you know particular people that i found very inspiring and role models that i've worked with and you know i i do have a love affair with Catherine hepburn as a role model i hmm. think she was a most incredible, feisty female who was not willing to be put in any box by the you know the the time she lived in. So I've always admired her. But genuinely, it's four people. It's not the most exciting list in the world, but my mum, who taught me that uh, i was I, I didn't grow up with any idea that because I was a woman, there were things I shouldn't do, um, mm. which I think is an incredible gift. Uh, my dad is a raging entrepreneur and taught me everything I need to know about being a founder. Um, my husband, who taught me to be peaceful, and my son, who taught me to be humble. Okay, that's
1: quite interesting. Especially when a young person, you wouldn't expect them to, to teach um someone older to be humble so what's exactly. off experiences if,
0: if, you, if you want a lived experience of you have no control and you don't you might think you have control you might think you know all the answers try becoming a parent you very quickly know you know nothing and actually just show up and try and do the next right thing
1: <laughs> oh i see okay so it's actually the, the 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 action of actually raising <laughs> the, exactly. the the the, yeah. the kid not, not him teaching you anymore. i was like I've i felt like there's so very so adult of him <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had to become humble to be a decent parent.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I I thought he was teaching us I was like, that is very adult of a, of a young kid <laughs> to teach humbleness. I get it now. Okay, sorry, my bad. Uh no, but that's I mean, you're saying it's very boring names. It's not boring names. I think family, so mom, dad, husband, and the, and son, I think those are probably the four foundations of anyone's life. Um and the fact, like you said, you grew up not not knowing that anything is impossible for a woman. Um, that's staying itself is a massive thing. And we are recording this around International Women's Day as well. So I think that's actually a very good message to pass on. Uh, everything is possible. Um and it's also something that we when we do these kind of podcasts and conversations and video interviews, we don't really explore the either um, you struggle as a woman or what can be done differently. It really is about showing examples of people doing big things to be like, see, this is all possible. Um and we don't need to have the basic conversation, like, is it good or not? Of course it is good. It's diversity okay. of thought.
0: <clears throat> People are to speak on, on women's issues and I can't because I've never thought of myself as a woman. I'm just a person and I do my stuff. And I don't I genuinely can't ever remember a time where I have edited myself because of my gender or felt that anyone else is editing me because of my gender. And if they do, that's really good fun because I'm like, you're so in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought I wanted a t-shirt which says, underestimate me, that'll be fun. Yeah, that's that's and so I don't really feel like I can speak to other women's ex- lived experience of being a woman because I've just been a bit oblivious to it because of the way I was brought up.
1: Yeah, but I and I think also just showing what's possible to be done and the things that you achieve, I think that alone is a lot of. Um, it gives a lot of e- examples. It's not examples that I want to say. It gives a lot of. Um, it's a boost, especially for younger generations. But like she achieved this, why can I not do this or even more? Uh, and I think that's more interesting than saying, "Do we need diversity?" I don't. I don't think that's probably the, the right discussion because uh, diversity yeah, is needed.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm very, I'm very aware that I am hugely privileged in other areas. Um, you know, I'm hugely privileged by the education that I had, that I come from a, a you know, a middle class family where we could go on holiday every year. You know, I've got a huge <laughs> privilege in other ways. Um, so I, I I wear my gender lightly. My husband <laughs> would say. I'll tell you what my husband would say. He's like, "Rachel, you're talking about. You're just a bloke with boobs." Because <laughs> that's what he says. Like, you don't identify as female at all, Rachel.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if this says more about him.
0: <laughs> Let's not go are. there.
1: <laughs> um, Where's but, my
0: hello, uh... darling? it's wherever you cooked it. <laughs> No idea who's the cleaner, you know. I just don't, I just don't do that gender thing at all.
1: <laughs> okay, well, that's so so you mentioned so mom, dad, husband, son um as influences, but are they also your motivators to do what you do every day? Like, what's the reason for you to get out of bed every morning and do what you do?
0: It's really interesting. That was uh, the, the the reason I left the music industry is because I, I there was one particular day when I was in the music industry and I woke up and I and I was really flat and low and I wasn't enjoying what I was doing and I was managing all these DJs and you know I had this like very glittery life and you know VIP bars and first class flights and big cars I woke up one morning and I remember thinking when I can think of one real reason to get out of bed I will and I stayed in bed for 4 days wow when i made the decision to leave the music industry
1: and what was the reason after four days
0: there wasn't one i just okay confused. so you
1: just got up because you had to get up I
0: had one out of food
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> um, and i i i actually think that having a having purpose is absolutely crucial and having and having a defining purpose and mine actually my defining purpose isn't my family I love to be able to provide wonderful opportunities for my family. I love mm. to be able to support my son. I support my my mum and dad. I love to be able to do that, but that's not why I get out of bed. I get out of bed because I get such an utter thrill from impacting leaders who impact the world Now that sounds a bit eh, jazz hands you know put it on a mug make it a mission statement. I don't mean it like that i i I can list some founders who are doing the most incredible, incredible things in the world. And I had a little bit to do with it. And, and that's, it's insane. That's so cool. I just, and and sometimes when a founder starts work with me, they're often not at their greatest ebb. They're, they're often feeling overwhelmed or feeling stressed or, Perhaps they, you know, I've worked with founders who are between companies as well. So they've been exited from one and they're feeling really low. And I love seeing the unique potential of a founder or a founding idea and then helping crack. There's normally something that's rest- that's constraining uh, a founder or a leader so some way in which they're limiting their own success. Whether that's a belief in themselves or the, the how compelling their vision is or their structures around them or their assumptions or their habits or their communication styles there's lots of different ways that that people can limit themselves but i love seeing the kernel of gold underneath and then cracking open the nuts so it can really flourish and there are a couple of of, and i won't name them because all my clients are confidential but there are a couple of people in the world who have just done the most extraordinary things And the idea happened in my office. And for for the rest of my life, I will just love that I could play any part in that.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing feeling. I mean, the fact that you can take something slash someone um, who's probably not going through the best phase in their life, either changing companies, seeing the previous baby being kind of killed and then having to open a new one scaling up the whole journey, being able to to take that and actually do something with it. That's quite a, not just noble. It's also quite talented. It's quite a talented thing to do because it's sometimes very hard. And it's especially when people sometimes in those positions, they go into such dark places as well. It's very hard to go around that and like, all right, let's look at two years down the line. Let's look at that. Let's not focus on the next month or two. Let's focus on the next 24 and see where you want to be then and try to, like I said, crack that shell open. Um, and build it Um, so I think I think that's quite interesting what you say, and I think that's very a very good motivator Um, and it's also building your legacy
0: yeah there's a very I don't think about legacy maybe I should but there's a very interesting um, model called the hero's journey that some of your listeners may know Um, it was a psychologist called Joseph Campbell was fascinated by why do we love the hero stories? Why are we drawn to these hero stories? So he did a meta-analysis of all hero stories in the Western tradition from, you know, Greek and Roman right though through to modern day. And he identified that there are these, these certain predictable stages on the hero's journey. And he he his hypothesis was the reason we like hero stories is those predictable stages are our own lived experience of personal transformation. So when we're changing, we are in effect going on a hero's journey and the hero's journey has become quite a mainstay in in the creative industries. In fact, George Lucas used it to write Star Wars. And so the Luke Skywalker follows exactly the pathway Joseph Campbell laid out. And there's a particular part on the the hero's journey where helpers and mentors come along, um, whether it's Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda or C-3PO, or R2-D2. Some days I feel Yoda, sometimes I feel (laughs) R2-D2. We all feel Yoda sometimes. I don't want to be the hero. I have no desire to be a hero, but I really love helping heroes, you know, go through their own hero's journey. I just, I love it.
1: Yeah, which is extremely humble. So speaking about humbleness, um, the idea of humbleness comes back. (laughs) Um, And then I was just going to say, so... And this is a question that I like to ask everyone, um, especially people that run their own businesses as well, and they've started a business. And you not only help, but you run yours as well. Um, what's non-negotiable for you? What's one thing that uh, when you sit down with your with your business partner, when you sit down with a client, what's the one thing or a couple of things that you do not open hand off uh, and you just do not accept?
0: Yeah, this is a really tricky question. <laughs> I have, the one thing, the one thing which is absolutely, completely and utterly non-negotiable is is, ism, so racism, sexism, isms. Um, I once was working with a client who said the most horrific thing about gay people, and I remember sitting in the room, and it was quite a big contract that I was working on, and it was the most... Horrific, 1940, such bigotry, it was unbelievable. And I remember sitting there thinking, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And I remember my mum saying to me, the only thing that evil needs to, to thrive is for good to do nothing. And I remember, this is a long time ago, I was quite young as a coach, but I remember I just snapped my book closed and I said, my mum taught me that the only thing that good, that evil needs to survive is for good to do nothing. Wow. And I will not work with somebody who spreads that kind of hatred in the world. And I left.
1: <laughs> wow. So I, I mean, <laughs>
0: that's my non-negotiable. If you, if and, and, and it's really for me, it's about othering. So it's about whether the other that you are speaking about whoever you are saying is them versus us i just won't do them versus us that's an extreme version of them versus us Mm -hmm. but i also within when i'm coaching clients there's often a tendency clients will want to come and tell you how they're right and it's their problem the other people are wrong they're the wrong ones i just don't do that i i and I think some of my clients would quite like me to do that occasionally, but I'm a great believer in personal responsibility and looking at the part you play in every environment that you're in. Mm. So the extreme version, so I don't tolerate us versus them thinking extreme version is bigotry or, or racism or any of the isms. The short version is don't, don't come to me to whinge about other people. If you're interested in finding a solution, fantastic. Let's go. Uh, if you if you want if you want me to pat you on your head and agree that Bob and accounts is a an idiot, I'm not your girl.
1: Yeah, I I think you're totally right, and unfortunately, it does happen a lot, especially in bigger corporations. Um, And then other reason, I've never actually heard that word before, but I like it. Um It's I like the word, not <laughs> what it means. But uh, I think it's very correct. And personal accountability sometimes is one of the hardest things to find. Um, interesting collective so we need to to kind of help each other Um, plus I mean sometimes as well if you go with that um, if you do go with that kind of view into a conversation especially with a person like yourself you're not really going to be able to see beyond your silo anyway so it's a waste of everyone's time I guess Um, speaking of going talking to you so let's now talk about what um, so so the markets that you operate with you operate within um, and what you do for a living and your views on what you do for a living as well uh, if we talk about venture capitalism investors for, for the minute, um, what characteristics and skills would you say are the, um, should we be looking at when we're looking to venture capitalism investors? Um, what, what's, what makes a funder promising uh, and what makes it a business leader as well?
0: So, sorry, let me see if I understand the question. Are you asking if you're going to try yes. to secure funding, what kind of characteristics should you look for in the fund? Or are you asking what should fund characteristics should funders look for in their founders? Which way are you looking at it? The second way. Okay. So what characteristics should funds look for in the founders that they back?
1: Yeah. I know we can talk about that one. Let's talk about both. Let's let's do both. Let's cover both. So
0: I can, I can tell you what, I can tell you what they do look for and and how I might suggest that they build it. Yeah. The, the you know particularly for early stage the, the idea and the opportunity is king or queen so the obviously and, and obviously what you tend to find as well is that that vcs are, are looking for founders who have previous experience and i do think that does lead to a little bit of bias going on very very broadly most species i think are looking for founders who have a strong vision That's the thing that, and and it's very difficult to teach. There's a kind of entrepreneurial warrior energy, which I think is very difficult to teach. It's a kind of combination of vision, myopic view, and grit and determination. That is sort of the classic entrepreneurial energy. And I think that's very attractive for VCs. And I understand why. I've, I've heard one VC say that she really looks for, founders who probably ought to be in therapy because they're wired up a little funky and you know you have this sort of myth of the Steve Jobs uh, distortion reality distortion field and you do find a lot of founders and, and you're bound to because by definition the founders founders are looking at a world and trying to carve an uncarved path through it and so you have to have Quite high degrees of self belief, not in a kind of you know peaceful way, but in quite an egotistical way. You need you need quite a lot of determination and an ego and drive to, to to carve that path, and also to face all the rejection you're going to face. So one of the the I, I when I'm talking about founder leadership, I talk about three different styles of founder leadership: sort of entrepreneurial warrior, brave warrior. Then the the operational considered architect, and then as the business continues to scale, moving into the wise monarch, and we can talk a little bit more about how you develop those as the business grows. But at its at, at its inception, a business needs a brave warrior leader. You know, single minded in pursuit of the goal, brook no you know uh, no blocks in the way. You'll overcome every challenge that there is honestly blind belief in in your idea or yourself so that's what typically founders are looking for uh, sorry vcs are looking for i think my observation of what then happens as companies scale is that that brave warrior leadership becomes the kryptonite of the next stage of growth so Mm -hmm. i talk a lot about the idea that the superpower your superpowers at one stage become your kryptonite at the next stage so i would add to the list of what founders the great qualities that great founders have i think i think the willingness to the willingness to reflect on impact the openness to learning so it does come back to a little bit of humility hmm. so you know humility to recognize that you you will probably need to do things differently at different stages, willingness to, and openness to learning. So there's um, a, a, one of my favorite writers is a guy called Patrick Lencioni, and he talks about the ideal team player is one who is hungry, i.e. brave warrior, ambitious, humble, willing to learn, willing to to, to take on board feedback and smart, i.e aware of your impact as a, as a human, uh, your impact on other people. At the startup stage, BCs look for hungry. At the scale-up stage, you also need humble and smart.
1: That's very interesting because it, it's... It's fascinating that we've actually talked about the journey on how things change as the business scales and grows, because usually we do we do focus on, on the beginning. This is where you need to start the business. This is where you need to succeed. But it's exactly what you said. And when you get to that stage of your scaling, those skills they need to change, because not only you probably have a much bigger team to deal with, so things have to change because of a team, but also the business, not the business model, but the business circumstances might have changed. Um, the way you deal with your with your funders and all that stuff also has to change because the business is evolving and growing. There's and there's something that you can actually see um, and evaluate at that stage. So I guess the skills is a very important. Um, the, the the skills journey is a very important topic that often gets misrepresented.
0: And that's actually why I I wrote the book because honestly the things that you need it's I tend to break it into startup, scale up, grown up. And the things that will make you fantastic at the startup stage, which is single-minded, grit, determination, sales skills, very good one-to-one, very good at being an individual contributor, all these things that make you very good at that startup stage. As soon as you (laughs) shift to scale up, the job of scale up, the job of startup is is to get a product market fit and win your first clients or investors, that's it. Then you have to go build the business that's going to be able to deliver that product or service to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So that next stage doesn't require a warrior; it requires an architect. It requires somebody who thinks in terms of systems, processes. How do you create this engine that can now deliver that? And so, you a lot of a lot of founders will say, "Oh, I'm just going to hire a COO." I'm like, "Yeah, great." And if you keep warrioring through the COO, you'll undo all the good work he's done or she's done. So that architect at the scale up stage requires a founder to move away from some of their very single point of focus, myopic, hmm. go, I'll make it happen, come on, hey. Ah, <laughs> and think more about, okay, what, what do people, what are the people, what process systems and people do we need how do we think of this ecosystem and set it up to thrive? And then the interesting thing is, you know, so that in that you need skills on management, on planning, on goal setting, on coaching for performance, on team dynamics. These are things warriors are not good at. <laughs> I know I'm a recovering warrior. They're not good. At- <laughs> and then finally, if you get through that scale up stage and you move into grown up where you'll finally get a chance to move into that pure leadership position, you know, that's that's the difficulty with scale up i said earlier on that the challenges founders face are complete so much more complex than they than you face in an organization if you're the ceo in a large organization you've probably been a corporate citizen for over 20 years you have seen multiple good and bad managers good and bad leaders you've been on hr courses you've been coached you you know you've done all of that And then finally, you're going to, and you've moved from being an individual contributor to a manager, to a senior manager, to a first-time leader, senior leader. And then finally, you get to kind of arrive in, I'm a CEO, where you get to just be strategic and visionary and think about your top team and, you know, great. As a founder, you're going to have to pivot between being a warrior, an architect and a monarch, a doer, a manager, a leader, multiple times every day for about 12 years it's like that's really hard
1: you wear many Uh, hats (laughs) when you found something
0: and and as soon as it's it's, as soon as you as you you nail one stage the business will evolve and and ask you to evolve at the same time so you know I coach founders who've nailed the architect phase and they're like whoa we're here but now suddenly the business is moving into grown-up and now they're supposed to be the strategic visionary leader and they're the operational in the weeds operational leader and and so they need to elevate out so yeah it's a it's a journey right <laughs> it's not easy uh,
1: and it's a long journey i think that's yeah the important thing it's it's a timeline um because mm. the amount of people that you you speak to and you think well within 12 months this is going to make this and we're going to be this and that Twelve months is not a long time in a, in a founder's diary. Twelve months goes like like that. It's uh, it's one minute. It's it's a grain of sand sand um, in the times in time machine.
0: Yeah, is that the average length um, uh, uh, startup to sale is around eight to ten years, hmm. and it's really interesting because if you speak to early days founders, they'll say things like. It'll, you know, I'm, I'm quite stressed right now, but it'll be better when, it'll be better when I've got a COO or when I've got a, a CFO in place or okay. when I've made that hire or when we've done that raise or when we finish that board meeting or when we hit those sales. You know what? That's just not true. The the stressors change, but the stress levels remain high throughout hmm. the journey.
1: Yeah, yeah. Once you on something, when would you say it's the right time to start hiring people? So when, it, when does it get to a place where the founder, the hero... Um, when does, when does it get to that stage that you know, right, now is the right time to go and hire? Uh, and I guess a bit beyond the revenue side of things, beyond the p and um, where does it get to a stage where, right, it's now time to bring extra pair of hands?
0: So I think there are two key stages to that. You've got that at the startup stage, there, it, it's appropriate to hire help. Okay, There's a great difference between help and hiring a team. And and, a, and a, you know starting to build an organization, so at, in a very broad brush strokes, I mean each organization will be slightly different, <clears throat> but the moment you have a product market fit, and you are ready to scale, that's when you hire. Hmm. So, say for example, you've got an idea, you know you've got an idea for a piece of software, but you're still trying to find product market fit. You're still, I'll give you an example. I was working with um, two co-founders in New York, um, working in the SaaS space in a particular sector. And they'd got, they've got a decent chunk of, of Series A founding, but uh, series A funding, but they still hadn't quite found the product market fit. They were still trying to iterate, and I was like, no, clients don't the market doesn't want that, they want this. They were still iterating, iterating. And at that time they had a small team, you know, 20 people, primarily developers. And they could run the whole that whole sort of innovation cycle where they're trying to find product market fit. They could do all of that with a couple of admin support, a bunch of developers, and the two of them. The second they have product market fit and they go for their next raise, that next raise is about scaling to become the business. And that's really Mm -hmm. when you think about pulling together a top team, devolving the founder responsibilities into functional leads and starting to build a top team who will... Not immediately, but it gradually, it's take over the operationalization of your plan.
1: Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, because I mean, there, there's something again. I think it's very easy, easily reflected um, in the sector that we operate within, within um, GB, GB, G, uh, Great Business Minds as well, uh, so the digital infrastructure space. I was going to ask you if you look into so the macroeconomic scenarios that we're living through right now. Uh, what are the challenges that their funders, challenges and struggles their funders are facing today um, in the current markets? And maybe some of that stuff will be also relatable uh, towards the digital infrastructure sites, because um, even though things are okay, there's also some struggles, even though people don't like to talk about them.
0: So I think the major, and this is not news news, this is, you know, anyone on LinkedIn will know all of this, but I think one of the major difficulties for founders who did big financial raises over 12 months ago is the valuations that founders were getting 12 to 18 months ago, well, 18 months ago, was so much higher than the valuations they're getting today. So the difficulty is for, for founders who want to go on and do a, a Series C or a, a D, if their they're, if they're, if they're A and B was too high, that's a real problem. They're going to really struggle with the next raise. Obviously... Things are slowing down. So the the, the expected expected growth trajectories aren't being achieved Mm. in the way that people expected. And then, you know, particularly in in the sort of software, and it's really interesting, you know, if you speak to, if I speak to founders one-to-one, a lot of them are saying, well, everyone's kind of grumbling, but it's the pipeline's full. Everyone's kind of grumbling, (laughs) but we're doing really good deals. Everyone's kind of grumbling, but so you've got this everybody's grumbling but thing going on. Yeah. I think you know, eighteen months ago, the biggest difficulty, particularly in 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 uh, SaaS and 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 AI, was talent acquisition. People couldn't find developers to hire. Um, yeah, There's a
1: massive problem in this industry. Yeah.
0: Today, you know, after a huge layoffs in the last three four months that is not so much of a problem but you do have far less confidence around the sector in general and i think that's making i think that's giving founders difficult conversations mm. with their investors mm. and just you know, more insecurity even though you know growth may be slower than than predicted but there is growth so mm. i think it's more it's more the nervousness around it yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Would you say it's also some sort of materialization of the markets and conversations? Um, so, for instance, the, the the multiples that we're enjoying. In, in our space, for instance, we had companies being acquired and investments of 35, 38 times um, editor, which is, I mean, it's almost unimaginable <laughs> in most other verticals in the world. Uh, but now the multiples have all kind of tumbled down to more realistic, like, Close to twenty, just north of twenty, which is a bit closer to the normal things you get in other sectors, and uh, eventually it will come down even more uh, to really just standard. Uh, is that just a, a natural evolution of the markets? I mean, even the things that we've seen with Silicon Valley making so many redundancies, uh, that kind of is an adjustment of the books um, after probably just too much overhiring over the years uh, and now everything is coming at the one go just to, to please wall street a little bit as well um what, what's your view of that is it are we going just through a militarization and of both markets and conversations or is it even more than that
0: i haven't got a clue I coach
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> honestly all joking aside i wouldn't even begin to comment i follow the yeah. story but actually it, so i can't i can't comment on macroeconomics i'm not an yeah. economist. I don't have a point of view. I, I'm not an investor, so I don't have a point yeah. of view. I I I'm I'm just very aware of the additional challenges that it gives leaders in this space, particularly mm-hmm. leaders who raised their series B or C at a 35 times multiple. That's mm-hmm. they've got a difficult journey ahead of them because they've got slowing growth, so less runway. So the need to to um and, and even though everyone has slowed down their spend and and, and elongating their runways. It's a scary time to be in a be in a place where everyone's talking about down rounds and and lower multiples if you raised a, a billion dollar at a billion dollar valuation. Um so I I, I really only see it through the lens of the challenges that the people that I'm coaching have to try and face. I don't really have a macroeconomic view on it.
1: <laughs> Apologies. Um, I, know, if I we... love it. I just wish
0: <laughs> I could say something smart. Right? I have nothing smart to say on
1: that. <laughs> Which is also a big lesson for some funders because sometimes people don't have anything to say and they try to say something. Um, and sometimes the best answer is just to be humble and honest. Uh, and say, like, I don't know. Yeah, I can
0: tell you all about different leadership styles, communication, yeah.
1: uh,
0: you know, <laughs> leadership, energy mastering,
1: um, you know, <laughs> all of that. Um, Rachel, to- I, I, I I could go on and now, like, really dissect so many little things into, even all down even to marketing, and I could really do that, but otherwise we're going to spend, like, four days here, not in bed, but we're going to spend four days just talking about these things. I also wanted to ask, before we move on to the next part of our conversation, how would you summarize, then, uh, um, a survival guide for funders uh, that are doing this marathon of from inception to scaling up. Um, give us just a very quick summary of how how do you survive this marathon?
0: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> 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 I'll put the
1: kettle on. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I'll keep it brief. I think i think I found a survival as a stool with three legs and you need each of the legs to be solid. The first leg is leadership styles. So to to not just survive the startup, but scale up and grown up, you need to understand that there are three different ways in which you'll need to lead. You'll need to be able to lean into considered architect leadership and into wise monarch leadership. So both, another way of saying those, the archetypes of warrior architect monarch is, is entrepreneurial, operational, strategic. You need to be able to understand how to lean in and out of those ways of leading and communicating so that's leg one the second leg is around communication and communication communication skills all get lumped under one bracket and so i'll often get founders saying i'm really good at communicating and what they mean is i'm very good at selling uh but they, they so, so I differentiate in that communicate, in that leg, the communication styles bucket, I differentiate between communicating to inspire and influence, which is around selling and pitching and public speaking and, you know, your brand and all that lovely mm-hmm. stuff that founders generally quite like, unless, actually, they love it unless they are coming from a pure tech background, and then that's the bit they really don't like a lot um so if, if you've got kind of this the sales background entrepreneurs they 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 like the communicate to communicate to influence and inspire the other the other style of, of communication is how to communicate to manage so yeah. how to craft clarity for your team how to give feedback how to coach for performance how to hold people accountable how to manage team dynamics how to create a powerful culture. So you've got these two elements within communication. So leg one, leadership styles, and that is warrior, architect, monarch. Leg mm. two, communication, and it's to influence and manage. And leg three is energy mastery, because w- my observation is that I've worked with founders who you know, have got all the leadership skills in the world, can communicate any way they want to, but... Mm their are they're, they're either their energy, their, their mind is doing a number on them. So they're riddled with resentment or fear or stress or overwhelm and they're not operating very well. Or they're, so their sort of self mastery is not what hmm. it needs to be. Hmm. You know, founders need to understand how to manage their ego, manage their fears, manage their anger, manage their aggression, manage all those things. Sounds more difficult than it really is. And then yeah. they also need to. I, I was going to ask no no no. Oh. that's not too difficult i've got a model it's all good and then the final and, and so that 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 energy mastery is also about your physical energy so mm. you know founders showing up hung over stressed out not sleeping um not a great idea so three legs mm. of the stool leadership styles communication and self-mastery energy mastery mm.
1: I was going to ask just a very quick follow-up question because on the energy mastery not so much on the sleep side and everything but um, on overwhelmed and sometimes the way looking at things a lot of things you said they do come with life experience it's not something you learn uh, in a classroom it's not stuff like that it's you learn with experiences of having worked somewhere else with having worked with other people how do you go in and you teach them those things and you crack open the shell um, around...
0: It's, it's really interesting. I noticed when you said earlier on, and you said, and you're going to get them in and no matter what they've been going through, you're going to say, what's in two years time? Don't think about the next two months. And there's a part of me going, don't do that. They'll never listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> <And I'm thinking laughs> same thing now, don't teach them that. They won't listen to you. Okay. Um, so, so not that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I don't teach founders anything. What I do and the way that we work is we work on something called a gap model, which is where are you? Where will the business be in three years time at your next raise, And what is that going to require of you as a founder? And then we do a gap analysis. So we look at your default ways of leading and managing and communicating. And, and, right. and then we look at how you'll need to communicate, lead and manage at that next stage of growth. And so we can build a developmental plan with you. And then the other thing that we look at is is what's going to get in the way of you implementing that plan. And so the conversation about about mind mastery, energy mastery, self-mastery is around that what is going to get in the way. So by the point you're having that conversation with a founder and you're saying, okay, great. So you want to show up like this as a founder, you want to communicate as what's going to get in the way, particularly if you've built enough rapport with them, they're going to tell you, you know, my, my stress levels are really bad or... I, I, you know, I, there are ways that you can help them see the ways in which they might be tripping themselves up. Mm. Uh, Mm. So we we do things, I do, we do psychometric assessments, we do some 360 feedback. And then, you know, part of what coaching is, is to help people see what in themselves, what maybe they don't see. And Mm. so sometimes your job is to help a founder find out something about themselves that they didn't know. And so. You know, I'm working with a founder um, at the moment who is off the chart warrior, off the chart. And the conversation, the coaching conversation started with, I need you to come in and fix my team. (laughs) Excellent. All right, then. And so (laughs) my job, that's what I do. My job is that they're going, how do I help him see the unintended impact he's having? And how there's a link between how he's communicating and leading, and how his team. Without criticizing him, because he's been criticized, It doesn't work. So mm. you know, I do some psychometrics, I do some, some some feedback conversations in a really safe way, and help him understand that. So, mm. yeah, gently. Uh, do it.
1: Maybe another question. Do you tell me I'm I'm not questioning you, right? But <laughs> do you think loneliness loneliness sometimes gets in the way, especially with funders at the very early stages of their journey? Uh, I mean, especially in the post, we can't say post-COVID, but especially since COVID started, um, a lot of businesses are starting at home and people are alone and working alone from home. They don't have colleagues. They don't have a team. Um, Do you think sometimes that also contributes a lot to stress levels to, um, it it hinders the thinking around something. And sometimes you you might take four or five days to decide something. uh, When if you have a team, you probably just takes a a 20 minute meeting um, to decide on something. Does loneliness also play a part into it.
0: I think isolation is a problem for all leaders, even before Mm. lockdown. Mm. By definition, if you're in a position of leadership, you don't have peers. You have a team who need you to be their leader, and you have stakeholders who need you to be the solution to their problems. So leadership is very isolating, full stop. And so you're absolutely right. A lot of times, all, all the founders and any leader not all, but what they really need from coaching is a space to think through out loud hmm. with somebody who is, doesn't have any, you know, I don't have an agenda other than helping you achieve the success that you want to achieve. So sometimes it is simply a case of creating an environment where they they can talk those things through. The second point you mentioned is about the impact of lockdown on teamwork and the effect of that on decision-making within an organization.
1: You made it so much better than I did. <laughs> no,
0: <that's okay. laughs> you made
1: it so much better. It's exactly that.
0: <laughs> so, so I think I think oftentimes, if I think about my clients, oftentimes my clients want to make the decisions on their own. The team, they're rather annoying. I, I often think of, of founders as, not all founders, but some founders being a little bit like, if you've ever taken a kid to a playground with their parents and the parents are gently walking towards the playground and the kid's zooming off and then kind of going, mom, dad, come on, hurry up. Some founders that I work with, they're like that with their teams, like they're way off in the future and the team are just sort of like like, just trying to keep up behind. So I think sometimes founders prefer to make decisions on their own. They don't necessarily want to make them with a great big team. Um, however, at the scale up stage, making decisions at a team level is really important. Not all of them. Sometimes the founder has to kind of say, no, we've got to go. Um, you know, that's 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 a function of leadership. So then the question of, of, I I, I do, a a big problem that I see is how you get teams to work effectively in rapport, in lockdown, and particularly, you know, the tech companies that I'm working with that often have globally distributed teams. It's not necessarily the decision-making that slows down, it's the formation of the team and the culture that slows down. And, and actually that will slow performance down because a group of people who are all in the same room understand each other, know what that blink of an eye looks like, know that Bob is unhappy because he's not looked up from his desk, mm. you put your head around the door and say that. They can just gel more, and a high-performance team is one that has a high level of rapport, that has tough conversations together, that commits together. That is a significant, significantly more difficult when the team are geographically dispersed or stuck work from home. It's just much more difficult. Mm.
1: Interesting, um, and and I love the point that you made about uh, thinking out loud, um, because they they some it's creating a safe space to think out loud, with uh, someone else that doesn't have a second agenda, um, I think that's that's very important. Um, speaking now about VC Talent Lab, so your your company that you started, um, tell us to, I mean, I, I think we kind of gathered where the idea came from and how it started and, and the reason behind it and the needs of it as well. But talk us to more the, the the operational side of it. So how have you scaled up the company? And um, so let's put yourself in your own shoes now, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, how are you scaling up the company? And so uh, you've already mentioned a lot of the US, so of course you work in in US and Europe. But uh, let's talk about also the markets that you operate in, and what kind of industries do you work with the most um, through uh, VC Talent Lab?
0: It's really interesting. We I, I would say that up until. Um, Summer last year, early summer last year, we were still trying to find the product market fit. We launched with with the the idea that VCs would be our clients, and actually it became pretty. That was a pretty naive assumption. Understandably, with the the economics of the bets they're making, VCs want their money in investments in organizations they're not like a you know they're not like a pe who is making one large a single investor in a large organization and throw money at you know um yeah post deal investments so i think originally we thought that vcs would be our clients it's now become really really clear that they are they are our main referrers so we work with four or five relatively you know large funds at the moment and they Introduce us at the point at which they make an investment with the founder, and we do a variety of different things within funds to be part of that ecosystem. Hmm. So I think until probably until for the first year and a half we we couldn't quite work out what the product market fit is, and I we, we definitely have now. So uh, we work across primarily across Asia, some in some in Asia, Europe, North America in terms of sector size, it's pretty sector agnostic. I mean, obviously, the majority of our clients are tech because the majority of investments are tech. That's what Mike's going to Exactly. We have more SaaS clients than any, than anything mm. else. But we also, you know, apparel, we work across apparel, healthcare, retire, you know, um, um, one private equity firm that we work with, that we, we helped the founder found that. So, you know, really across a lot of different um sectors typically the stage that it makes most sense for us to work with clients at is really around their series b so if they're still struggling for product market fit i would normally tell them don't invest in leadership development at this stage you know we were talking earlier on about when do you hire people i think that's the point that it makes sense to bring somebody like us in because that's when the leadership challenges are going to happen so the way that we work is we Typically, you know, after a large Series A or a Series B, typically when they're about to start investing in in heads of or be, uh, um, uh, senior hires and senior teams, and and looking to grow significantly over the next twelve hmm. months, and hmm. very broadly, we either work just with the founder, or with the founder and their team, or the founder, their team, and the wider organisation. So sometimes founders will say. We want you to come in and help our team be more effective we want us to be more effective we want we want some help with culture and leadership development of the wider organization too so we have what's called a coach in residence model so we've got like three or four businesses where we do that where we are we're, we're sort of the the learning and development before ellen before you need an LD person so we're 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 sort of part of the ecosystem within the organization mm-hmm. Um, And then others who just say, you know, I want to, I want to scale my leadership, I want to become a better founder, I want to get better at strategic leadership or, or organizational grip, or I want to take better care of myself or communicate more effectively or have more gravitas, whatever so. Those are the three levels we work at.
1: Hmm. Okay, interesting. What? Uh, so, in terms of um, now more on the logistics side of things, or the the, the housekeeping side of things, mm-hmm. do you have offices across the pond? Do you? How many people do you have working for you? Is just you and your partner? How big is the business? And yeah, just to be off housekeeping.
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting when you've got these choices to make, isn't it? We we made the decision, my business and partner and I, to set up VC Talent Lab as a jointly owned brand. Hmm. rather than a limited company because we really like the freedom and autonomy that it gave us both and it also means that we can bring other partners into the fund without having to go through the complexities of hmm. you know a, a, you know big fund managements and limited partnerships so um we have a a team of a back back office team of Five, I think if we we've just sorry, I'm sort of pausing because I'm just thinking we've just put on <laughs> a new, I don't think he's actually started yet. So we we have a back office <laughs> five turning six. Five in a bit. Um it, you know, two sort of client success people slash, you know, organizers, PAs, whatever you would like to call those, who are sort of managing the, you know, the the uh the diaries and the implementation we've got a, a full-time brand and design not full-time but a dedicated brand and design and and social person with us and then we've just taken on board an ops uh, business a business ops manager um who, whose whose task is to scale the systems that we're sitting on and then in terms of the delivery team we've quite a flexible delivery team they don't work for us full-time we pull them in and out as we need and to be honest with you i can't imagine that will change because the kind of coaches that founders like are not traditional coaches so if you coach a founder the same way you'd coach a, as a leader in a business saying things like what will be the impact of that and how will that be a founder's going yeah, to like, you know leave the room so you know fa- founders like coaches who are a bit sassy who've got a bit more you know, VIM, then that traditional, very distant, authoritative coaching gap. And so a lot of the coaches that we practice, well, we don't call them coaches, we call them practitioners. They're drawn from two worlds. They're drawn from some from the leadership development world, but some also from the lived world. So our team includes former CEOs and COOs and founders who have been trained as coaches, as well as coaches who have been founders. So we try to always find majority of time find people who've got the experience of both leadership development and leadership and being a founder or or Hmm. a c-suite executive themselves so it sounds like a very good mix yeah yeah, and the thing is most of those people don't want to have a job you know they're kind of you know they've they've been successful they've They've done it (laughs) and actually they want to give back they want to be part of the community that we have but they don't want you know a, a salaried position so I think, I think our strength is the flexibility of our organizational structure and the fact that we can bring on people when we see, when we meet great people. Um, you know, everyone knows the kind of tools that we work with. So there's a, a standardized approach to our to the way that we coach clients and the tools that we use. Um, but structurally, we can be quite nimble.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think that the structural flexibility that you have, it's probably something that a lot of other people will envy um, in, in their businesses, because it sounds very refreshing um, to do business their way. Um, speaking of doing things that way, I was going to ask you next, and this can be either personal or business-wise, if there was one thing that you would do differently in your life, you would have done differently in your life, what would that be?
0: Um,
1: That's interesting. So I I
0: made the decision to give up drinking quite a few years ago. And honestly I would have given up 10 years before that. I I love not drinking. I the I I I think that people underestimate just how much energy they are losing. I mean if you're the kind of person that has you know, one glass of wine over dinner on a Sunday, I'm not talking about you, but I think a lot of us, you know, crack open the bottle of wine seven o'clock most evenings. Um, You know, we're used to having a hangover once or twice a month. When I made the decision to stop drinking completely, the level of energy that I felt, and the, the, just how great it feels to always have energy and never feel hungover and never, you know, just, I love it. So, I wish I'd given up drinking 10 years before I did.
1: Hmm. No, no, I can I, I understand that. Um, I've not given up drinking yet, maybe one day, but uh, up to halfway COVID, me and my, my group of friends, we used to drink a lot. And then in the second half, we kind of stopped a lot of it. So we went from three, four days a week to one day a week and eventually every two weeks. Um, And now we go three to four weeks without drinking and the changes are completely different. It's okay. your mood, your energy, your sleep, your your skin, everything
0: yeah everything if i could drink the way you're describing i would drink yeah. the way that you think i don't think you need to give that yeah. up but i yeah. i've just i'm a bit black and white i'm i'm either every night or not at all and you know sort of i'm, I'm i just don't do in between so for me the decision was to stop completely and, yeah. uh, and so it's, i i suspect that what you've just described is is the same benefits that i've experienced you know the energy you know everything I mean, I, I look I look five years younger than I did a decade
1: ago. <laughs> <laughs> You've aged the other way around. <laughs> it's like that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movie, which I forgot the name now, of course. <laughs> um, that sounds good. Uh, I was going to ask, because, of course, we've spoken about VC Talent Lab. Is there anything else you're working on, like, right now, or you go in the draw coming? Can you lift the veil a little bit on something um, that you might be doing separately?
0: So the interesting thing is I want to... If you think about the, the um, whether you think about stages of business growth or the hero's journey, you've always got that, you know, you're coming up with an idea, then you're implementing the idea and you're going off on the journey, then you're, you're climbing the mountain and then you get to the top of the mountain and then you're like, right, okay, rest now. What's the next mountain? I'm at the beginning of the mountain. So, you know, the last three years have been a process of designing the business, setting the business up. Crafting the core products, building the key team, building the sales collateral, putting the systems in place, bringing on the back of uh, so so I need to do at least another two three two three years of hard Focus, yeah. planning before I can think about what's next. <laughs> so, but on a personal level, I I I know that the next two or three years will bring significant personal changes in my life for a variety of reasons which I won't go into here. Um, but I know that I'm going to have to deal with some quite difficult personal things in the next couple of years so i i quite like the idea of i'm just gonna do vc talent lab love my clients love my family and just just do a bit of living
1: yeah set, set the say, basis I'm for success
0: yeah. i'm not gonna start anything another <laughs> of years. this is enough yeah. i started enough. <laughs> let's let's yeah. finish I mean,
1: but i i actually I, I picking up on that as well sometimes there is a mistake that people do when they launch something uh and then they have another idea it's like let's do that as well and then you have A, B, and C. Instead of focusing on building a good A, you're building A, B, and C. So you're sharing your energy levels. Uh, you're just giving 30% of energy levels to each brand as opposed to giving 100% to one of them. Um, and that would hinder all of them. Um, and, and
0: the reality is that that I, I love my clients. I love the work that we do. I think the work hmm. that we do is really, really important. I also love my family and my family are going to need some help. And yeah. so I need to... Love my clients and love my team and love the founders that I work with, and I need to love my yeah. mum and dad. Yeah. That's what I need to do. I need to spread the love there for a little while. Make sure they're all as well as they can be, and then and then think about what's next in a couple of years. Did we cut out then?
1: Yeah, it's like care about my mum and dad, and then and then everything so can stops.
0: We go back and say it again. So uh, then, yeah,
1: yeah. You can edit it. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna make a note. Um, yeah yeah
0: just so you know there was also a moment earlier on where you froze but you were talking throughout it so check the the yeah. recording to make sure that yeah. it cuz i couldn't hear you but it didn't matter
1: yeah um, yeah so sometimes it happens with you as well the image freezes but because the sound is okay that's why i don't stop
0: yeah. um i
1: think it's just My maintenance my is not great so i apologize for that
0: that's okay so um so yes i think at the moment i i i, I love the clients that we, i work with the team are great the, the ways that we're working with founders is really good. You know, I think I think what we've done with VC Talent Lab is really important. The book is important. And that needs some love and some TLC. It needs me to take mm. care of it. I need to parent that. And then yeah. on the other side, you know, my mum and dad also need a lot of care and support over the next couple of years. So I'm just going to love those two things for a little while. Take care of family and, work, and VC Talent Lab. And then decide if I want to cl- climb another mountain in three years' time.
1: Yeah, it's finding the balance and being present on all fronts, um, and didn't, didn't just make the most of it um, on every single scenario. Uh, but I guess no venture capital ventures around music, then. not not a VC company for music, would you?
0: Definitely not. Definitely not. No, I, I, it doesn't we, work that
1: way in music either. So
0: I, I think I think the next the next adventure will include. Some kind of equity play in something bigger than this, um, because the reality is, a professional services company mm. is not a massively scalable operation. I mean, you yeah. know, there's
1: it, only so much. Yeah.
0: Spend twelve years building seventy people and sell it to sell it to Accenture. I'm not sure that's a journey I particularly am inspired by. Um, however, being involved um, in, in more in a, in a more depth way with some mm. kind of operation. You know, I think that would be interesting, but that's not for now.
1: Yeah. yeah. that'll be very interesting to watch. Uh and then Rachel, so the last two questions I ask everyone. Um, the first one is what's the best and the worst advice have you, you've ever received um mm-hmm. throughout your entire life, not just career-wise, entire life. Mm-hmm. Worst and best.
0: So the um, best
1: and you can say by who as well if you want to. <laughs>
0: I think I think they yeah, the worst piece of advice was it'll end in tears um my I, I'm not I'm not going to name it actually I'm not going to name names They both a piece of advice from different parents okay I'm not going to say which <laughs> one. one parent would tell me it'll end in tears and it basically was don't take the risk don't run don't rush don't 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 it's not safe it'll end in tears that was the worst piece of advice I ever got it's
1: very generational as well though yeah.
0: and the best piece of advice I ever got was and I probably won't say it right it's my dad's. Pi- oh, I've just given away that the the former was my. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let them listen to this. But my, my the, the the um my parents. Are, I, I should probably say both my parents are very very unwell right now. So I know that they've they've loomed quite large in this conversation. It's just that they are both very yeah. very very seriously ill right now. So they're front That's Sorry mind. to hear. That's okay. Um the um the the best advice was from my dad who used to say this thing which is. Nil, nil, carborundum e bastardi, something like that, which was just. Have you heard it before?
1: No, is that Latin or?
0: It's not really Latin. It's my my dad's made up Latin. Nil, nil, carborundum e bastardi, something like that, which basically meant "don't let the buggers grind you down."
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think in plain English is easier.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was—it was just one of those silly little things that my dad would say because he could, you know, Latin. No, you know, that's not my my dad. Sort of the earth guy is a sort of the earth guy. Um, So don't let the buggers grind you down, which basically means just dust yourself up, get going, keep going. Um, So that was my favorite. That was probably my best piece of advice.
1: Hmm. And uh, and then last question is like, what's your favorite quote uh, and by who and why?
0: Yeah. So. it's really interesting. I I've always thought this is a Viktor Frankl quote. If you don't know Viktor Frankl, an amazing, inspiring man who wrote *Man's Search for Meaning* about his experience as a Jewish psycho a Jewish man in Austria in um in Auschwitz, and he went on to form a form of uh, psychotherapy called logotherapy, and logo being meaning. So he his whole thing was about man's search for meaning. Um. So I've always understood this to be a quote from him, which is that man can handle any what if he has a reason why. Apparently Nietzsche said it first, but I'm going to take it from Viktor Frankl.
1: (laughs) No, I I appreciate that. And I I think it's actually a very, it it, it is a very good way to end this conversation because everything circles about that as well. It's the what, the why, how, when, Uh, but the the why and what, I think that's the first two questions that always require an answer um, for you to then step out into how and when uh, and really decide the next steps of movement. Uh, But Rachel, I mean, I could talk to you for, for many more hours because this is really, really interesting. Um, and I mean, and especially in the sector that we operate within, again, um, it's everything that you said, everything is happening and everything is happening at the speed of light. Um, so I'm sure this, all uh, uh, the conversation we've had over the last hour, this is going to resonate with a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Um, they're going to be listening to this when it comes out. Uh, so thank you thank you for your time. Um, and I, I look forward to also seeing VC Talent Lab grow. Um, not to be an Accenture. Um, I, don't think, I don't think actually anyone nowadays wants to build big companies like that anymore. I think people are much more focused on the boutique bespoke um, kind of enterprise thing as opposed to building the next KPMGs and Accentures and big everything. Um, so yeah, so thank you, Rachel. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and don't forget to review and share this episode and follow the Great Business Minds podcast on all your favorite streaming and social media platforms. You may find the links in the podcast description. Thank you again to our new sponsor, Preskill & Co, a leading award-winning city of London law firm internationally recognized for its expertise in the digital infrastructure industry as well as the telecoms and tech sector work more broadly. Feel free to reach out to them at Prescal.com if you require more information. Do subscribe to the podcast and we invite you back again for the next episode of the definitive show for the business of digital infrastructure, The Great Business Minds Podcast. See you then.